Hello, and welcome to another episode of Minnesota Tatfish, today's evidence for tomorrow's pediatrician. This is brought to you by some of the chief residents at the University of Minnesota. I'm Dr. Kate Pollack. And I'm Dr. Heidi Moline. And we are here to give you the dish on pediatric care. Today, we are continuing our evidence-based medicine series. In our episode today, we're taking a deeper dive into individual study types. What are we talking about, Kate? We are going to talk about cohort studies, and we've got a great example, a landmark study in pediatrics to help solidify this in our minds. If you remember, Heidi, these cohort studies are right smack dab in the middle of the hierarchy of evidence. Cohort designs are so important. And today we're lucky to have Dr. Erica Snow, one of our third year pediatric residents, to walk us through an example of a cohort study that has really changed pediatric practice. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So we're going to talk about cohort studies. Which one did you bring with to share with us today? Today's topic of discussion is lead, and I have brought with me a prospective cohort study that is pretty famous in the world of pediatrics that helps to explain why we care about lead and monitor it closely in young kiddos with regular screening. Awesome. Tell us more. This study was published back in good old 1992 and is titled Low-Level Lead Exposure, Intelligence and Academic Achievements, a Long-Term Follow-Up Study. In this study, 148 children from Boston, Massachusetts were followed over a decade-long period from birth to age 10 in order to assess the effect of low-level lead exposure on their long-term intellect and academic achievements. This study is also a tongue twister. <laughs> it sure is. Prior to this paper, there had been many other studies that had started looking into this issue, but they produced a lot of mixed results that were difficult to interpret, and most of them were limited to evaluating only through the preschool years. So this was really one of the first studies that looked at the persistent effect of this type of lead exposure and its effect on intellect and academic function in older school-age kiddos. The children in this study had their blood lead levels checked at a number of different time points throughout the first 10 years of life and then underwent formal cognitive and IQ testing at age 10. So what did the study show? The results of this study found a significant association between lead levels taken at 24 months of age and testing performance that was persistent even after controlling for a bunch of different potential confounding variables such as gender, environmental stressors, birth order, race, etc. And this was pretty gosh darn significant because the children in this study actually came from relatively high socioeconomic environments and really had only mild elevation in their lead levels when compared to their counterparts from more urban inner city environments where lead exposure is much more significant with higher baseline levels overall. Yet even at these relatively low levels, there was still good evidence that this lead exposure had a significant negative impact on the cognitive and intellectual function of these children that was still present years later. It was also super interesting in this study that this association was really only seen with the lead levels that were taken at 24 months of age versus all the other time points, and that this lead level at this specific time point was actually more predictive of performance than was maximum blood lead level at any point in time, which suggested an age-specific vulnerability that is still not entirely understood even today. Wow, I agree this is significant. How does it impact our work as pediatricians? This study ended up influencing and changing the recommendations from the CDC for lead screening in children and acceptable lead levels in terms of monitoring and interventions that are still part of our regular pediatric clinical practice today. Current recommendations are that all children should have their lead level checked between the ages of 9 to 12 months and again at 24 months. If the results of these tests are outside of the acceptable ranges that the CDC has established using the results of this study and other similar studies like it, Kiddos may require additional monitoring or even treatment or other interventions to reduce their exposure because of the impact that lead can have on their cognitive function later in life. Can you tell us a little more about the demographics? Like who is included in this study? I guess I'm trying to decide who I should be applying this to when I'm seeing patients. That's a really good question. So like I mentioned earlier, all of these kiddos were born in the Boston area 
And other important facts to note about them were that over 90% came from a Caucasian background. The majority of them were from higher socioeconomic backgrounds with a large proportion of both parents having college degrees. And this is really important to note because some of these results may not be applicable to children of other races or different socioeconomic backgrounds, even though the study did try to control for these type of variables in their analysis. Erica, this is such a great example of why the study population matters. You're absolutely correct. In fact, this study may even underestimate the effect that lead elevations can have on cognitive function because we know that early insults tend to be more severely expressed among populations at higher socioeconomic risk. And the children in this particular study do not adequately represent kids that come from this type of background and may be at an even greater risk for negative effects of lead on cognition. All in all, it provided really valuable information in, term of rec- in terms of recommendations, but the results are limited in terms of generalizability. Hmm. So zooming back a little bit into study design, why do you think the investigators used a prospective cohort study in this case? Wait, can you remind us what prospective means? I know the two different types can be a little tricky. Yes, they can. The easiest way to think about it is that cohort studies evaluate the association of an exposure to a specified outcome of significance. The difference between a prospective versus retrospective cohort study is that in a prospective study, participants are first categorized by exposure and then are followed forward in time to assess for specific outcomes based on said exposure. While in a retrospective study, participants are classified based on an outcome first, and then you look back in time in a retrospective manner to evaluate their exposure history. So why do you think this study design was selected? I think a prospective study design works really well for this type of study because of its accuracy and reliability in terms of being able to collect data on both exposure and outcome in real time, as well as the ability to track data of potential confounding variables along the way that can be used later in the analysis portion of the study, which again adds to the overall accuracy of the results. Can you remind us of the disadvantages of this type? Absolutely. These types of studies tend to be very time-consuming and expensive in comparison to their retrospective counterparts and are prone to issues such as high dropout rates of participants, which in some cases can impact the validity of the results. Awesome. Thanks so much for bringing us this great example of a cohort study that has actually changed the way we practice and monitor children. What are the key points we should be taking away from this? I think the biggest key point to take away is that even today in a world where we have gotten rid of things like lead and gas and in paint, kids are still at risk for exposure. And based on studies like this one, even low lead levels in children of high socioeconomic status have a significant negative impact on cognition and intellect that can be seen almost a decade later. Because of this, it is super important that as pediatricians, we continue to screen all kids, regardless of their exposure risk for lead, at their one and two year well child checks and act appropriately if their levels are elevated outside of the acceptable ranges that have been established. Thanks, Erica. I have one final question for you. Hit me with it. What is your favorite hot dish? I have to agree with your last podcast guest, Dr. McHugh. I'm a big fan of my mom's au gratin potatoes, especially at Christmas time. Hmm. Uh, we're only on our third episode, but au gratin is in the lead for our residency's favorite dish so far. Well, thanks so much for coming by, Erica. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. To all of those listening, but particularly our own residents, we have a survey linked in the description of the show. Please take a second to fill it out so we can continue to perfect this tot dish recipe. See you next time on Minnesota Tot Dish.